Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, we have on our good friends, Coach JT Ayers and Coach Brian Kula, to talk about their new online course, Mass Specific Force. This course dives into their training philosophies of how to complement sprinting with proper strength training exercises to increase speed of athletes. We are pumped to pick their brains on everything that went into making this course. You can find the course link in the show notes along with the Twitter handles of both coaches. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's continue to grow the mind, optimize performance, and change the system. There's a great book by Barry Ross called Underground Secrets of Faster Running. And Barry Ross is Allison Felix's coach when she was in high school, setting all these national records and things. And she's throughout, you know, from um, California. I accidentally came across his book and it's not a huge widespread book. And it's actually really difficult to find on Amazon. Uh, I think it's like 50 bucks, maybe even more because they don't sell print them. And so he wrote this book about um, the idea of, of, uh, well, actually not to get too far ahead of myself. I read the book. I loved it. I couldn't find anybody that did it. I couldn't find anybody that actually implemented it. So I basically was by myself in Southern California trying to implement something. I just couldn't find a lot of results with and an affirmation on, and i kind of feel was feeling my way around in the dark for a while. Well, it works. And not only does it work, but my kids were seeing a huge benefit in the style of lifting in an actual tangible marks on the track and field um, side of things. So I wrote a Simply Faster article, and that's when Brian actually picked it up and read it. Is that correct? Yep. And um, was Brian was at a TFC conference in Chicago. He referenced me in something that I do with our force number index, which is a ratio between the athlete's body weight and, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, but their athlete's body weight to their hexagon deadlift bar max and what that is. And, and Brian liked it and he mentioned me and, and that's credit to Brian, who's, um, you know, way more qualified and, and like acclaimed as a coach and a speed, you know, a, a, a guy that programs speed and, and the development of it. To a guy he's never met, he mentioned me just kind of in passing. Well, Tony Holler mentioned that, hey, there's this guy named Brian Cooley. He's Christian McCaffrey's coach. He's a coach in Colorado. He's won a, a way more state titles than I've ever been at. And he, uh, he mentioned you. So I got in contact with him. And honestly, from there, we've become really good friends. And we've made each other better um, in the way we do things. So. You know, not to, you know, Brian, I'm sure you can, you can pick up where I'm leaving off, but we basically got together and said, Brian, I'll fly out to you. Let's get together for three days and just have a little one-on-one summit, melding of the mind, think tank. Let's get together and talk about everything. And from that came, we got to put everything we do in a, in a place and in a way that's not what we had to do, feeling away around in the dark. We need something that's going to help other people, um, 
And even ourselves, when we're trying to influence other coaches and help other coaches in the way of speed, let's put it out there. Let's do it in a way that it makes sense. And that's with the Coach 2 video series. There's video, there's um, slides, there's science. We basically are taking the things that we do and we've seen us to be successful and we put it in a way that is meaningful, uh, valuable, and effective for other people to experience. I would assume most coaches that either they've heard this model before and they love it and they just reinforces that behavior or they're new to it. They're, they haven't been exposed and this would be a catalyst for change. At what point in your guys' career did you have a catalyst for change that you went more towards a mass-specific force model of training for your athletes? Yeah, I, uh, I can probably answer that one pretty good. I, it was, it was, I'm going to say it was about six or seven years ago, and I've been a big weight room guy my whole career, uh, even, even as a track coach, and really felt like, especially with the female athlete, that we could make huge improvements by putting them in the weight room. And, you know, kind of growing up, around that it 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 was working but i also noticed that there was uh, sometimes that some of the female athletes would add too much mass with with the type of lifting that i was doing you know years ago so i really started kind of hunting and i literally ran across an article on the internet one day it was called the holy grail of of running faster and it was just an article and it referenced Barry Ross and this whole scenario of Allison Felix who you know as a track guy i've been watching run for many years and one of the most decorated female athletes there is and this was the style of lifting that she was using in high school. Um, and so I kind of decided to dive into it. And, you know, even, even when you have an established system, I mean, you're a fool as a coach if you're not trying to find something better all the time and, and sharpening yourself and challenging your, your thinking. And um, so that's exactly what I did. And I thought, man, this looks like a, a really slick system. Let's, let's give it a go. And there were some commonalities to what we were already doing, but the way they approached it with the, with the, rest time and, and all those things. So we actually started, um, using it like right out of the gates. And, uh, we saw instant improvement in some of our athletes, uh, especially the female athlete, if I, if I'm being, you know, totally honest. And, and that's where I think I ran across JT's article was just kind of confirming the thing as we were, as we were working through this over the last, you know, five or six years. Um, and then, you know, and then I decided to try to implement it with a NFL football player thinking that, man, I really like what we've seen here. Christian didn't want to put any weight on at the time. And so, you know, we need to get strong. We need to move faster. How do we do that without putting mass on? Well, I think I have the answer. And we implemented that fully. Um, now, we expanded upon the actual system that Barry uses uh, in regards to some supplemental exercises and things that a football player might need in addition to, uh, you know, speed work like a track athlete. But we, we stayed within the same guidelines, the same, the same uh, approach scientifically. And we saw huge improvements in his, in his speed and his power output, uh, in, in his ability to not be sore and tired the following day so that we could continue to train. Um, and it really fed into exactly what we wanted to accomplish with, you know, with, with all athletes. And so I've kind of fallen in love with it. Uh, in regards to how we train all of our athletes, track and field, football, just in the private sector, training any athlete that walks through the door. Uh, we feel like it's a really good approach to strength because not, not every athlete wants hypertrophy. They don't want necessarily more muscle doesn't equal better athletes. Um, in some sports, it's, it's, it's you know, very beneficial to have some extra mass. Uh, but in our particular sport of track and field, 
you know, mass is kind of the enemy. And, you know, we try to be as strong as we can be, but as light as we can be. And that's really where Mass Specific Force was born. And, you know, partnering with JT, it was great to know somebody who not only knew the system and read the book and all those things, but was actually implementing it so that we could have some real life, like field experience conversations around how we were doing it. And that's when we decided to, you know, hey, let's let's put a video series together that can help coaches understand it because it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of out of left field. You know, there's there's not a lot of coaches that really understand. You know, what do you mean there's no real periodization? What do you mean you recycle versus you know period is a pyramid you know system of high reps to low reps and things like that? We lift heavy all the time, heavy all the time, low repetition. Uh, so it, it really is different. We thought we need to be able to explain that a little bit, you know. Um, so that I think that's how it was born. Yeah, so Brian, who comes from the side of um, – Brian has the facilities, and he has a good set of numbers. He also coaches boys and girls. And, you know, ironically, I mean, this kind of got started with Barry Ross coaching Allison Felix and a girls program that was phenomenal. But what I coach only boys at a very large high school, and I don't have facilities. I, have, I mean, the football team is going to be in there. We only have a small amount of time. Um, especially during the COVID season, and I think this is good to address, is um, what happens when you don't have the weight room? How can, and what if you don't have time to be in the weight room? So doing things the right way um, to be maximal, like maximizing the effectiveness of what you do with the athletes. So deadlifting and the way that we do it, some of the plyometrics that we do, you do not need a lot of equipment. You do not need a lot of space. Um, Last season, you know, when I had a weight room, um, I have 15 hexagon deadlift bars. We spread them out. I get three kids, pretty much three, two or three kids on each bar. And we're able to deadlift a lot of kids and they cycle through the weight and the, um, they do what they need to do, including the rest period. But since March, um, I've actually have my eight varsity kids will come through and, after a, a sprint workout, they'll come over to my house and I'll put four kids in my, in my garage. They'll uh, deadlift and then they'll go to their plyometric. They'll go rest. The next kid comes up, deadlifts, plyometric, rest. Uh, they'll leave within a half an hour and I'll have another group come in and do the next half an hour. So we are maximizing efficiency in the weight room in a way that makes most sense for the athletes that we coach. The kids and the athletes that Brian and I coach want to get faster. They want to be more explosive. And this is the way you do it. You first mentioned the force number index. I want you to dive into that a little bit more. And my initial thought on it is it makes the smaller kids less insecure about their weight. Because I know like when I was in high school, like bigger was always better. Like you wanted to be bigger. You wanted way more. I think Brad can attest to that too. 100%. And I also think it would hold like the lineman type or the thrower type. It holds them to a higher standard because Yes, like they're bigger. They're probably going to lift more than me. But relatively, are they lifting more based on their weight? Um, and it might be a healthier thing, too. Not so much focused on your weight, but more on your strength relative to what you weigh. So if you want to dive into that force number index and how you guys use that, um, that would be great, too. What it was designed for was to give kids the opportunity to see that based on their individual mass, how much they weigh, what is the ratio between how much they weigh versus how much they're actually generating force with, which is the deadlift and the hexagon deadlift and, and the max of that. So, you know, an, an example would be if a kid weighs 150 pounds and he deadlifts 500 pounds, 
Well, you take the deadlift, you divide it by their 150 pounds, and we are actually weighing the kids. They get a ratio, which actually I don't have a calculator in front of me. Like, is that, I don't know, is that three? Is that th something like that? So um, the idea is the kids are now paying attention to how much they weigh versus how much they lift, and they're seeing that number increase. We've now given the kids with a force number index a measurable that makes sense for them in the weight room as an individual, not just compared to every single buddy. So, you know, you're not going to see Tribucal Hills track and field. I'm not going to have on the whiteboard in order the kids that have the most or highest max in the deadlift. I'm going to have a, what I am going to have is the kid's name and then a ratio, which is 2.5 or three, or even, I mean, if you're above a three in any kind of force number index, you're the real deal. And in our video series, Brian and I actually break it down and we hypothesized and kind of generalized a little bit that if you're above a 3.0 in that ratio, you're elite, you're world-class. And Brian actually is an athlete. Brian, would you say your guy was just yeah. recently? You told me. I, got a, I got a kid I'm working with right now. He's 157 pounds and he deadlifted 500 pounds three times the other day, which is roughly 525 max. So he's he's well over three in the in the force index, which is crazy. The highest I'd had previously to that was my little pro sprinter Mary Beth Sant, who was a three point zero eight, I believe. And her, you know, she was at one hundred and three pounds, deadlifted three hundred five. Yeah, and that's that's unbelievable. And now what Brian's alluding to is these athletes now say, okay, this is what I'm able to work on. Um, we've all had the athletes, and every track coach in the world knows they get a kid that's a fast freshman. And if they're a football player, they go and they gain 30 pounds of mass of weight because the football coach says, we've got to add some LBs and they do. And what happens? Well, more than likely, they're not going to be running fast anymore. Simply put, they're going to have more gravitational pull on the earth's surface because they're heavier. Big people have trouble running faster. So, um, I've had athletes that are like 2.9. Like we had this one guy and he was unbelievable. And this little Filipino kid was 115 pounds and he deadlift 350. Well, that's a real big, well, actually, sorry, 450. It was a huge, um, and he ran, and he ran 1089 and he's a skinny kid, but he can generate a lot of power. And it took four years from the freshman year on. And, um, that kid's a complete success story, but everybody that knew him would not look at him and say, Oh, you don't weigh enough. You know, you're not big enough. Um, they would see his force number index and think, oh, this guy's the real deal. And 1089 for, you know, a little guy that's 100 and, you know, 100 and I think 15 pounds or something like that. I mean, that's 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 a pretty amazing. Yeah, that's that's awesome to hear that you guys are focusing on that metric, because I think for any athlete listening to this podcast as well, and I can speak from my own experience, I was a scrawny, I was a scrawny little kid, played basketball. And just felt like, okay, if I want to be able to like dunk and be better at basketball, be a better athlete, I got to put some size on. I got to do like heavier squats. I got all these different things. Um, and I was all about just trying to gain, gain, gain. Because everything that I would Google at that time was like, hey, here's how you get stronger legs. And I was like, okay, stronger legs. Like that's going to make me perform better. Crush on protein shakes, all these things. And to your exact point, like you put on size, you're not jumping as high and you're not running as fast. And overall probably not going to be as good at your sport uh, depending on what area you're in so 
I think that that reigns true, and that's awesome to hear because we had um, we had like the the big board or whatever in high school where it's like if your bench is over this number and your squat is over this number, and I'm sure we've all had that. Um, and I was like, gosh, if I could just get on that big board, but I was like, you know, one one sixty soaking wet. Um, and I just wasn't able to do it. So I think that that's awesome that you guys are reframing it as far as where to focus the attention for an athlete and have them strive for something that's actually attainable regardless of their own body size. Yeah, we've, I, I have, I've personally seen it happen with, especially the, the, the scenario that JT referenced in a uh, football kid getting told he needs to put weight on. I mean, I had a freshman two years ago that ran 1091 um right out of the gates as a little freshman and then you know he wanted to get on the football field so over the course of the next year he put on about 20 pounds and he looks great big muscly you know kid now and uh we ran some fly 40s uh at the beginning of the fall this year before we thought we we're gonna have a football season and he couldn't even crawl into the top 10 of our football guys and he would have been the second fastest kid in all the whole school um you know otherwise and so it's you know, and again, and, and I tell kids this all the time, I mean, speed is, whether you're talking about track and creating speed or you're talking about another sport and generating speed, some, some you know, mass is going to get, a lot of it's going to take care of itself just with growth and, and maturity. And, um, you know, we all have kind of a predisposed size we're going to be. Um, to try to pack extra pounds onto that is not going to help the most, the best attribute of every single athlete, and that is speed. Um, you know, no ever have I ever heard somebody say you're too fast you know, in anything, in any, any sport, you know, man, you're just too fast to be a lacrosse player. No, the best player is the fastest lacrosse player. And the best soccer player is the fastest soccer player. And, you know, it's just down the line, um, the, the Kansas city chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers have proven that if your team has good overall speed, you're going to be a good football team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it really is across the board. It just happens to be very heightened for us in track and field where that's what we do. I mean, speed is, is, is king. Yeah, and you know, the system that we're kind of championing right now is not just for the kid that wants to run the 100-meter dash. I mean, this is the, the idea of the way that we lift is for anybody, even distance runners, especially distance runners, that they can lift and not add mass and generate force into the ground over a long period of time. Well, mass-specific force is going to allow that athlete to get there. So um, there's a few coaches out here that I'm friends with, and they've been utilizing it with their distance cross-country team and they're seeing a lot of success in it. And they're even seeing adverse effects, I'm sorry, like positive effects in um, their athletes not getting injured as much either because they're stronger and they're hitting the ground with a proper foot strike because they're able to generate power in a good way as opposed to wear and tear in the athlete. And I think that's why this resource is so valuable is because it applies to not only track athletes, but football athletes, cross country, so many different coaches in different arenas can use it and implement it in their own way. It doesn't take that long. And I would assume your athletes like working out this way, where it's really intense for a short period of time, and then there's some long rest breaks. Am I wrong on that or no? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the kids really enjoy it. I mean, I, if, you know, there are periods of time where high school athletes don't love to do anything, right? But if you, you know, th this, they can go in there, wrap their head around it. They're not going to they don't have that. I can't get off the toilet in the morning because we did three sets of 12 squats yesterday. Um, that kind of has been eliminated. And I mean, even with the, the top end professional athletes that we work with, they don't, they don't desire to be sore and tired and, you know, kicked in the teeth uh, from workouts. So they, they do enjoy it. And then like anything, if you're enjoying it, you're probably getting better at it. 
Right. And then there's, I mean, as a teacher, if you have your students come in and they see the value in the lesson that you're trying to teach, they're going to have more buy-in. Um, with mass specific force, it's, it's really easy kind of to, you know, quote unquote, sell kids or athletes on what you're trying to do. And because of that, there's more value in it and there's more value in it. The kids are going to take it um, that much more serious. And so I actually have kids, I know Brian does too, because I actually went out and visited them and they're, they want more and they're actually excited. Like if we, if I decide to deadlift, you know, twice instead of three times for the week, I have athletes questioning me. They're like, Hey, listen, coach, um, can I go deadlift? Can I get in there? And, uh, and I give them the reasons why not, but they're so bought into it that, um, you know, you're going to see kids excel because they know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Would you be able to dive into a little bit more on like, first off, how you would sell it to an athlete who's never heard of this before, or maybe came from a different program that did things differently. And then second, for like a coach diving a little bit more into the science on like, cause like you said, you're heavy all the time, low reps, long rest. Um, for somebody who's looking at it as like, Oh, well you need to do hypertrophy and then strength endurance and all these different pieces. Um, dive into that science part of heavy all the time, but then also how you like describe it to an athlete surface level to get them excited about it. Yeah. Brian, you use a really good analogy. Um, when you and I've talked and what you do with your athletes, would you mind talking about like your analogy you use? Which one? The truck. Oh yeah. <laughs> so from a, like from a, from a very rudiment um, deal, I tell the kids, I'm like, okay, we go into a, we go into a Ford dealership and we buy two F one fifties. They're exactly the same, same size engine, same package. Everything's the same. Okay. I'm going to put a load of bricks in the back of your truck and I'm going to take the one without the, the bricks and we're going to go race. Who's going to win? And, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go, well, I, I want the light truck. You know, I don't want the heavy truck. Okay. So all things being equal. And then the question is, okay, well then how much bigger of an engine do I have to put into that other truck with those bricks in it to make it go as fast as the light truck? And they start to kind of grasp the understanding of, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. And I, I talk to the kids a lot. And one of the things about mass specific force, that's really cool for coaches listening. The five minute rest time doesn't have to be complete, sit down, ignore each other. It's a great opportunity to get around and talk to the kids about why we're doing what we're doing. I mean, even from a relational stance of, of just finding out how they're doing in life, it's a great opportunity to talk to them about why we're sitting down and we make our kids actually physically sit down. Um, and we talk to them about ATP system and, and the replenishment of that and why it, you know, we talk to them about it like it's, you know, uh, it's like your rocket fuel versus your, you know, long, slow burning fuel. And, and, they, and we try to get them to understand a little bit. And that just creates that buy in. It also shows them, too, that you know what you're talking about, you know, and we didn't just pull it out of a book somewhere and put it on the board and, and hope it works. Uh, I've had the fortune of having some pretty good athletes underneath the system where now it's much easier to sell because I can say, you know, well, you know, you don't have to buy into it. But, you know, guys like Christian McCaffrey and other NFL players and Janine Becky, pro soccer girl, you know, uh, several state championship track athletes have bought into it and it works pretty good. So whether you understand the science or not, um, and I'm not a I'm not a huge science lab guy. Uh, most of my experience is field tested, you know, lot, lots of thousands of athletes. And so that's, I mean, I think that's how we've gotten the athletes to buy in. Right. And so a lot of it, you know, the first 
like Brian was alluding to is that culture has a lot to do with it. I mean, when you, when you have a, a, a whole program, I mean, my whole school knows of mass specific courses because we market and brand that thing. We have shirts and everyone knows what the hexagon deadlift bars are. When you have 15 of those kind of standing around in a weight room, that's a statement, you know, and I like it. So there's a culture element to it. I mean, the seniors are going to do it and they're going to do it well. The, the freshmen are going to aspire to be just like them. And so, you know, now you have a cycle of athletes coming through. Um, but for the science of it, you know, there's a Dr. Peter Wayan. He, they did this uh, Harvard University study. And I mean, he's like, Dr. Peter Wayan, you got to just Google the guy and you're going to be in for a great afternoon of good research and, and understanding and like journals of applied medicine and all this great stuff. But he basically, they hypothesized that greater ground force or greater force, sorry, greater force applied to the ground rather than shorter minimum swing time. This, this allows humans to increase top end speed. So basically, you know, the more force you apply to the ground, the faster you're going to go. So neuromuscular speaking, like the neuromuscular adaptation, if you want to run fast, you need to run fast. If you want to get, you know, I don't, Jocko Willink is one of my favorite, like, leadership dudes. He's like, hey, you want to get better at doing push-ups? Do push-ups. You want to get better at pull-ups? Do pull-ups. You want to get faster, you got to run fast. And it's the same idea applies to the weight room. You lift heavy, and, and we only, Brian and I only go, we never go below 85% of an athlete's max. You're going to be able to get this neuromuscular adaptation where they're going to be able to fire um, the type two muscle fibers, increase those and get faster. Where does that 80? So I saw that in the course, you talked about 85%. Where does that number come from? Is that in the Barry Ross book? Or is that with that self-experimentation you guys have had with your athletes throughout the year? I think, I mean, it is in the book. Um, but I think, you know, as a, as, as any strength coach out there would say, you know, you start to get above 85% and you're in a, you're in a range of, of strength development um and and kind of it's for us it's the basement that's the lightest we would ever lift a kid in 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 our deadlifting sequencing um 90 is often prescribed and 95 percent is often prescribed and uh you know i'm sure there's coaches listening thinking man i would never put an incoming freshman with 85 percent of their one rep max on the bar but the reality is their max isn't going to be that heavy and so they're 85 percent it's all relative and yes, we teach form. And yes, when we first get them, we, we might, we might take a month of less than 85% to teach some form and mechanics. And if a kid has some different, you know, hip hinge in, you know, imbalances or things like that, we're going to fix those things first. But I think what we're talking about is once you get them to a, de a developmental stage, then from that point forward, we're going to stay above 85%. And, and that just, that kind of flies in the face of old school training of 65 to 70% with high repetitions and then working your way to low repetitions with sets of, you know, three and one to three. But, um, and again, can I explain why that is? No, I'm not sure that, that I, you know, as a 20 plus year strength coach can explain why the pyramid system I used to th think worked very well either. I just know that the athletes that we've worked with in this system um, they stay healthy, they get strong, they don't put on weight, um, they enjoy it. Uh, we don't have residual effects the following day of soreness. And um, so, you know, a lot of it is just experience. Right. I mean, so I'm on the same boat. I mean, we, anything that Brian and I and any good coach is going to do is they're going to listen to a clinic or a podcast or 
read a book or look at some kind of article in the Journal of Medicine or something, you it doesn't make sense unless you apply it to the culture and the athletes that you have. So we have to experiment. And Brian and I have been experimenting with this stuff for a number of years. And because of that, we've been able to see the benefits of it. And basically, you know, the short of it is we're trying to get strength without mass, you know, avoid that burn. And I'm not sure if we said it yet, but when Brian and I are asking our athletes to deadlift, we go up with the bar and we drop it. We utilize the concentric movement, not the eccentric movement. We're avoiding hypertrophy, which is the exact opposite of what Coach Ayers wants. Coach Ayers loves hypertrophy. You know, I love that burn. I get, I look real intimidated in an extra medium shirt that I'm wearing right now. But... (laughs) You know, like, that's not what I want my athletes to look like. My athletes look like guys like Jeremy Warner or Noah Lyles, and they're tall, they're skinny, um, they're strong. And, you know, the bodybuilder loves, you know, loves to have the hypertrophy, holds intention. Um, they love the eccentric movements. Um, our runner, you know, the goal of the runner is strength without mass. You do not want any of that. So um, because of all those ideas and apply, you know, hypothesis and, um, testing those theories out. And this is what we come to the conclusion of this system works. And to answer your question, Tom, you're like, what do you do? Well, I show my fantasy team and I say, check, check out what Christian McCaffrey's doing and look at how I win every year. That's always a good fallback option is to pull up the, the fantasy squad there. But I also do like that you guys use the hex bar because it's so user-friendly. It's really easy for a novice or a really tall athlete. I know you have some basketball players, Brian, that you train. It's so easy for them to use. You can put it up on blocks. Like you can adjust it so many different ways. And it just prevents that initial fear that, that newcomers might have. Like, hey, like lifting heavy, I might get hurt. And there's so many ways to prevent that with the hex bar. So I'm really glad. And Brian and I have had great success with it, too. And we're just really glad to see that you use that instrument to get the results that you want with your athletes. Yeah, it's a lot easier to teach good form right. where, you know, and Brian, maybe you could talk to some of the cues you use. We we are very similar in, in our verbiage and what we tell the athletes, like we want them to push through the ground uh, when they're lifting that idea of while they're lifting, they're pushing into the ground, um, you know, shoulders back. Uh, you know, it's a lot easier to teach good mechanics with a hexagon deadlift bar and it's easier to drop. Um, I have athletes that love to do it barefoot. Now I want this to be known. I'm not advocating for that because barefoot in the weight room is one gross and two dangerous. And so, um, but the idea is you can, you can feel perfectly safe and comfortable, you know, getting into a hexagon demo bar, grabbing the bars in a way that allows you to be really like balanced and coordinated and then, you know, push to the ground and lift up. Yeah, I just I've I've found that I mean there all of those things are true. I think you know a straight bar deadlift requires a certain amount of mobility, and not that we don't try to enhance mobility in everything we do, but it's similar in the squat of why I've moved away from the back squat is typically fifty uh, percent or better athletes cannot squat to to depth uh, because of ha- ankle ankle immobility or hip impingements or different different things, and so. With hex bar, we kind of eliminate a lot of those things, and we really cut to the chase of being able to get 
uh, some forced production going uh, without having to worry about a ton of time of teaching and worrying about injury and stuff like that. That's that's a huge component of, you know, if a kid tweaks his back or whatever that and he misses three weeks of training, then it wasn't worth it. I mean, we, we would we would just assume not lift and avoid injury than to do something that had a high risk of injury. So, um, you know, there's probably a lot of coaches that say, well, you just back up, you take your time, you teach it slowly. But, you know, with a high school athlete, we don't have a ton of time. We got a short four-year window to get them strong and fast and, and stuff like that. So not that we rush it, but I think we picked an exercise that is easier to teach. We get a big bang for our buck out of it. And yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, these days, I don't think I ever owned a hex bar uh, much before five or six years ago. And now we have one at every single station at our weight room. We got 18 racks in one room and 10 at another. And we got 28 hex bars um, at, at our school and at my facility, every rack's equipped with a hex bar. And uh, I, I don't know how I'd get along without it these days. Yeah. And in the video series, um, we have videos of Christian McCaffrey deadlifting and with the hex gone deadlift bar, when you have as many plates on the side as he does, uh, that's just not possible with a straight bar. And, you know, so I don't know about you, Brian, but for high school kids, I can speak to that. Um, I don't coach the, the, the caliber athletes that you do on the higher end, but it's a lot easier to put more weight on a hexagon deadlift bar than it is a straight bar. Yeah, there's, there's a, there's, I think there's a ton of, ton of value in, in all of it. Um, and yes, the adaptability with, you know, height, um, they do sit up off the ground a little bit higher. Um, so the taller athletes and things like that, we, I feel like we can teach the hip hinge a little bit better because we don't love to squat, um, squat deadlift. Um, we try to teach that hip hinge and get into the rear chain. So yeah, I think for all those reasons, it's, it's certainly the answer. Well, not, not to mention the confidence boost too, as you're alluding to JT, where it's, a kid sees like, hey, I'm able to move this type of weight and I'm not getting hurt doing it. I'm not feeling weird in my back like you would with a straight bar deadlift or with a squat or whatever. It doesn't feel like I'm struggling through it. And I feel like that just helps build confidence, especially like the freshman, sophomore, those early ages as you're still like trying to develop and um, figure everything out. So that's awesome. Yeah. And with a freshman athlete, too, especially, I mean, we're trying to teach form above all else. I mean, um, being able to step in a hexagon deadlift bar and have a low amount of weight on it and even teaching them the concentric and eccentric movement going up and down. And which I also do as a, as a warm up sometimes Like we just add a little bit of weight for them. Uh, it's so much easier to push up and, down and push up and come down. And, and with that said, it's mimicking some of the things they're going to do when they're on the field, field of play is that they're pushing through the ground in that, in that way. Yeah, we, we, we kind of stumbled upon it a few years ago with Christian of just, you know, when I told him we weren't going to squat anymore, he almost, you know, kissed me. You know, he just, the, 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 the factor in of, you know, knee pain and things like that. And so it just, it really started to resonate with me that, yeah, it's worked for our sophomore girls in high school, but man, it's working for NFL guys. It's working for our high school basketball team. It's working for, you know, all these different things. And it's just, for me, it's just really rewritten. Like what, what is strength training really for and does, and it doesn't mean that at some level, I don't value and understand what developmental strength training is for, you know, squatting to depth and different, you know, single leg and, and unilateral movements. I think that's all very valuable and needed. Uh, what we're talking about is a very specific approach to speed development. Um, I just, I'm just saying that because, you know, I, I still do believe in, you know, lunging and, and hip hinging and, you know, pushing bilateral heavy movement, things like that. 
we're talking very specifically mass specific force was kind of a system derived for a track and field athlete specifically. And I have taken some of those concepts and, and molded them into other sports. Um, but yeah, for the track and field athlete, it's, it's been huge for us. You know, I think, uh, Brian, actually, I already told you about this, but on Sunday, um, at church, I had a friend who was a professional baseball player come up to me and say, Hey, one of my, one of my old coaches, one of my good buddies is him and his wife are the head coaches at university of Washington. You know what? If I'm not supposed to say this, I don't care. They, their entire girls softball team, um, utilizes mass specific force and they're seeing huge improvements in everything between even like shoulder rotations and explosion through the ground. And they're like, our kids are hitting better. They're smoother. They're stronger. They're faster to first base. And, um, you know, it's cool is how universal it is. I talked to a coach earlier today on the phone and he was like, when do I implement this? Because my son's a football player, a basketball player, and that's a track athlete. He never has an off season. And I was like, well, that's the beauty of it is that you can kind of, you know, pick where it goes and how it fits within your schedule. Like you, during the fall, you have Friday night games. Okay. And then basketball season, you have tournaments and games throughout the week. Okay. And then you have dual meets and invitationals in the springtime. Like, Figure out where it fits within the context of how you're training. And there's no, you don't have to sit around and think, oh, no, I squatted today, so therefore I can't run tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, Our kids do not take breaks from their training because of the weight room. And there's there's a, you know, I literally, Brian used the word earlier, holy grail. Um, I mean, is it, there's nothing better than that as a track coach. Yeah, I would, I would say that we, um, it's, fits perfectly with the multi multi-sport athlete. I mean, we, you know, I trained our basketball team last year at Valor and, you know, they, they, we would lift them three days a week, two days a week, sometimes during the season when they'd have games, we'd come in the day after a game on a training day, hit a quick mass specific force style uh, lift, and then they'd have practice. And even the volleyball team a year ago implemented this system. And that was a group that typically avoided the weight room. They didn't want to come in. They'd complain about having to come in because they wouldn't have enough legs for practice. And and I kind of got them talked into just giving it a try. And then the feedback we got was, man, I actually feel better at practice now. You know, we kind of woke up the nervous system pre-practice. And so it's a system that, to your point, uh, you can utilize in season and continued development throughout their career versus like an, an in season mentality. I don't know a better message to end on or to send out to people like, Hey, this system, it's going to work for you. It doesn't take very much time. Your kids are going to love it. You can use it all year round. You can use it off season, in season, you can adapt it to the current principles and structure you have in place. And that's when you know you've hit something good when a system applies to so many different people and so many different already established systems. So we're so excited that you guys are getting this course out to coaches, to athletes, to programs all across the country, even all across the world. I don't know if you've had any any purchases from Europe or Asia yet, but I think anyone would benefit from at least learning the material, learning the science, seeing the the success you both have had with it. And Brad and I use these principles in our training, and we're going to keep using that with, with the athletes we encounter and the coaches we work with. So thank you so much for jumping back on the podcast. We'll put uh, the link to the course in the show notes, but let's keep, uh, let's keep, keep lifting smart and let's keep getting fast.